Well, good morning, everybody. It's it's good to see you this morning. God bless you. And uh, I know we're all just a little bit tired. Maybe we lost an hour, but that's OK. We're going to have a great time here this morning. I uh, let, let me share a couple things as the offerings goes through here. Um, by the way, hopefully many of you are reading your Bibles through in a year. And uh, Raylene and I are on track. And um, uh, I'd like to encourage you, even if you've not maybe picked up the brochure that gives you a little leadership on how to do that. Just pick it up and dive in anywhere, and uh, it's, it's not too late to, uh, to go ahead and begin to read your Bibles uh, through. But this is, these, these little things are sort of like indicators of if you are actually reading your Bibles or not. What kind of a man was Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. Okay. Okay. L- l- let me go on here. Hold the, hold the tomatoes here. Okay. Who is, the, who is the greatest financier in the Bible? Well, it was Noah because he was floating his stock while everyone else was in liquidation. Uh, let's see. What, what, what kind of motor vehicles are found in the Bible? Uh, well, Jehovah drove Adam and Eve out of the garden in fury. Um, a fury. Anyway, see, see, good jokes you don't have to really explain. I'm really sorry about this. David's David's triumph was heard throughout the land. And also, of course, uh, Hondas were uh, located in the Bible because the apostles were all in one accord. Um, Who's the greatest comedian in the Bible? Well, it was Samson. He brought down the house. Um, (laughs) Who's the greatest babysitter mentioned in the Bible? It was David. He rocked Goliath into a very deep sleep. And... uh, which Bible character had no parents? That would be Joshua, son of Nun. And, uh, <laughs> and someone told me about this one, too. Found in Job, the shortest man in the Bible. That would be Bildad the Shuhite. So there you go. If you have uh, not read your Bibles through yet, I would encourage you to do that. Take your outlines or your Bibles, and hopefully both, and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to uh, teach... Actually, two more sessions this week and next week on what is God like. Uh, I, I shared that years and years ago when our children were little, my youngest daughter, Betsy, who was about eight years old at the time, asked me, Daddy, what is God like? And I didn't have a really good answer for her. And so it's been my sort of quest over the years uh, to, uh, to, to know more about what God is like and be able to articulate that. And so um, let me read to you this verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And by the way, I'm reading this verse out of the New American Standard Version. Many of you have an NIV version, New International. And I believe that this verse is probably not as as maybe adequately translated in the NIV as it is in the New American Standard and in the King James Version. But let me read to you this verse. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. You all know that. Faith really does please God. And then it says this, for he who comes to God must believe that, and I know in the NIV it says that he exists. And I believe that, yeah, maybe that's okay, that you believe that God exists. But in the New New, uh, American Standard Version, it says that for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And the question of that would be, he is what? And the answer to that is, he is everything he says he is. And uh, so, must believe that he is. And then I love this part, that he is a rewarder of those who, who diligently seek him. We've talked about the fact that God is good. 
And uh, we've looked at the Bible in terms of the goodness of God. We've talked about God is wise, the wisdom of God, and God is just. We've talked about the justice of God, the faithfulness of God. What I'd like to do today is talk about a word that's not often used in our regular vocabulary. Uh, it's, it's a term, though, that describes who God is. I want to tell you a little story real quick. Years ago, uh, when my wife and I first became Christian, we both became Christian on the same day. We went to a church service. We had never, as far as we knew, heard the message of salvation, that God wanted personal relationship with us. We heard this incredible message, and both of us uh, entered into the kingdom of God. We, we repented of our sin, and we asked the Lord to, to come into our hearts. And we were, we were saved. At that moment, then, we began to meet brand new people in our lives, new friends, people that love God, people that were walking with the Lord. We met a, a, a couple, a young couple who had just been married. His name was Vance, and her name was Diana. I still remember their names. And uh, one night, we were at a church service, and at the end of the service, we found out that Vance and Diana needed a ride home. Now, I have to tell you that Vance was totally blind. He had never, he had, never had sight. He, he had been blind from his birth. And uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, just he's a precious guy. Just really loved the Lord. And his wife, Diana, was, uh, she was um, uh, uh, crippled. She had, I think, cerebral palsy. And so she walked with these great big crutches. And, and it was, they were quite a pair. But they just loved God. And they were just sweet, sweet people. So at the end of the church service, they, we realized they didn't have a ride home. And so we said, well, we'll take you home. So we loaded them up in our car. We drove out to this little house. And we got out of the house, uh, got out of the car, and Vance said, Dan, come in, I want to show you the house. And, uh, <laughs> Raylene stayed back with Diana, and she was helping her out of the car and get the crutches. And, and, uh, Vance, he knew exactly where he was. He, you know, he's totally blind, walks on into the house, opens the door. They, he goes on, he says, get in here, I gotta show you something. And I'm, I'm walking in, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to bump into the lamps, and then I, I nearly go clear over the sofa, and he says, come on! And I said, Vance, I can't see anything. And he goes, oh, my goodness, I forgot. It's not daylight, is it? It's, it's nighttime. I said, yeah, it's nighttime. I can't see anything. He said, okay, let me turn on the lights. So he turned on all the lights. And we just had this really, really delightful time. Well, the next day, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine who had just recently sort of drawn us underneath their wings. And they were discipling us. Sharing about Jesus and how to how to pray and how to how to memorize scripture and just how to kind of get on with the Christian life. And I said, Ed, I've I've just got a problem. I I don't understand this. I said, I look at Vance and Diana and these are two really precious people. But I see that, you know, Vance is completely blind. Diana is crippled. They have financial problems Uh, in in many ways. they, They really suffer from these handicaps. And it just doesn't line up. Why is it that God is a good God, a loving God, and yet at the same time that this exists, that this, that these situations exist in their lives? And I remember Ed said to me, he said, Dan, there's a lot of things we don't understand, but this one thing we know. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And I thought, sovereign? Now, I, I didn't want to let him know that I was a dummy, but I didn't know what sovereign meant. And so I remember the first thing that I did was I went back and I I got my Webster's Dictionary and I looked up the word sovereign. And then I began to look for passages in the Bible that seemed to indicate that, in fact, Ed was right, that there was something about God that he was sovereign, the sovereignty of God. And so 
Let, let me read to you out of Webster's Dictionary what the word sovereignty means. And uh, if you can sort of keep this definition sort of up front in your mind now as, as I begin to teach, the word sovereignty means one who is above all or superior to all others. They are chief. They are greatest, supreme in rank, power and authority, holding position of ruler, royal or one who reigns, independent of all others, excellent, outstanding in rule and reign, specifically a monarch or a rule who is absolutely in charge. Now, that is what the word sovereignty means. And when you begin to think about the God that we pray to, the God that we worship, the God that we love, God is sovereign. God is supreme. God is like no one else. He is higher than all others. And I want to just begin to open this up to you. Because you can choose to believe what the Bible says about God, or you can choose not to believe. But there's one thing you can't do, and that is to deny, after I've probably gone through many verses, and there are many, many other verses that deal with this, that God is sovereign. And so if I I could, if I could just welcome the Holy Spirit, Father, in Jesus' name, we welcome you, precious Holy Spirit, to come and teach. Lord, today we we want to look at the sovereignty of who you are, O Lord, as our King. And so we bless you today. Holy Spirit, now, would would you give me the gift of teaching? Lord, this is a subject I can't say I'm fully comfortable with, but if you would help me teach so that your people would be blessed and strengthened in their faith. I pray that today in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen, Amen. I want you to know that, you know, though people might choose to disbelieve, this book is very clear and it's been proven over the millenniums that this book teaches the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. And uh, God will not, in His sovereignty, and it's very clear in the Bible, God will not, in His sovereignty, be one among many other gods who is laid out upon the buffet table of our culture today that, uh, you know, we've given all these wonderful options. Well, you know, I kind of like the sort of some of the Hindu stuff because it's, you know, it's really kind and it's very nice. And some of the Buddhist stuff is very sort of inward. And I like that part of it. So I'm going to sort of take that part. There's some things about Islam that are really good, the the disciplines. And, you know, and I kind of like the idea of karma. That's cool. And and I even think even kind of some of this reincarnation stuff might even be true. I'm telling you, listen to me, the Bible is very clear that God will not be among any other gods. He is the Lord God. He is sovereign. And he is not looking for teammates. He is one above all the others. For thou, O Lord, art high above all the other gods, is what the book of Psalms says. And so, what you have to conclude is this. That the teaching in the Bible of who God is, either in your mind is very narrow and is in many ways intolerant. And uh, probably therefore needs to be totally dismissed from your mind. Or... It is completely, absolutely true and must be embraced and lived out. And that has been my choice. I believe God is sovereign. I believe He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And therefore, I worship Him as sovereign Lord. And I know many of you have made that same commitment out of a conclusion you have made. And so... Isaiah chapter 42, 8. Now, can, can I just tell you right now, I'm going to machine gun you with quite a few verses. And if you just take a moment and in your outline, maybe just jot down the references 
and then go back and, and look them up in your Bible. See, I, I'm of the personal belief that uh, I will, by faith, operate in the gift of teaching. And there's wonderful benefit of the gift of teaching. Uh, but I tell you, real transformation doesn't happen until you open your Bible and you personally begin to, to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you the truth that I'm about to lay out for you. That's where real transformation takes place. Okay? Is it a deal? So jot down these, these uh, verses and then go back. Use them as a Bible study to help you understand the sovereignty of God. And I, I'm telling you, my friends, when you get a hold of the sovereignty of God... It will absolutely change your disposition. Because if God is truly in control, working all things together for our good, it will change the way you respond to life. I, I, I just, last service, I had a, a man, I ran into him up in the hallway, and uh, it, it just tears coming down his face. And I had never met him before, and, and uh, he, he was a, 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 a highway patrolman. Um, which, by the way, I took his name just in case, you know, it's stuck in my back. He's a dear friend, you know, like he might cut me some slack one of these days. But anyway, these like tears just coming down his face. And he said, this meant everything to me. He said, I, when I came to mass, I, I didn't know what to expect. But he said, I, I, I believe God is in charge of my life. And that's important for me to understand that today. Well, listen, it'll change your life. When you begin to understand the sovereignty of God, the incredible control that God exerts in his glorious power. And so Isaiah 42, 8, here's the first one. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. And so God says, I am. I am the Lord. There are none others. Every other God has little G in front and they aren't even in the same class. I am the Lord. God is, according to the Bible, before all things. Now, these aren't in your outlines, but if you want to jot them down, you sure can. The Bible teaches God is before all things. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Lord Almighty. God says, I existed before time. I will exist after time. I am I'm eternal. I am before all things. In his sovereignty, God is before all things. He created all things. The Bible very clearly teaches that God created all things. Colossians 1.16 For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And so God is not only before all things, he creates all things. And then the Bible teaches that God sustains all things. Everything that's going on right now is happening because God is upholding them. He's holding them all together. Everything is being, being sustained by the power of God. Hebrews 1.3 The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus Christ, the Son, part of the Trinity, is holding everything together and sustaining life. The reason we have breath is because of His mighty Word. He is sustaining life. And then He is above all things. Ephesians 4, 6. For God the Father is of all who is over all and through all and He is in all. Isaiah 45, 5. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. And I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. 
so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. You know, as you read these verses, you don't have to go, gee, I wonder what he's trying to say here. Uh, He's saying, I'm God. And all these other rivals, so-called rivals, they are not God. I am the Lord God and there is one God. And I happen to be, God is the one who is God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Hello? You know, in this bigger room, it really helps me, those of you that say, man, just say it real loud. I mean, it really does. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a horse is giddy up. Yeah, okay. I just, like everyone, so I need to giddy up, especially when daylight savings time hit. God is God. He says, I, I am the Lord. I am the Lord God. Now be careful, because I, I'm 55, so you may give me a heart attack here in a minute. He is before all things. He created all things. He sustains all things. He is above all things. My friends, our God, the, the God that we worship and the God that we pray for, pray to, He knows all things. God knows all things. I love this verse in Psalm 139, verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is out of my, t- is out of my mouth, you know it completely, O oh Lord. I mean, before I say a word, God knew what I was going to say. Before the thought even hit my mind, God knew what I thought. God knows all things. And then the God that we love and pray to, he can do all things. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven: I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too difficult for me? And my friends, the emphatic implied answer is no. No, there is nothing too difficult for the Lord. And then uh, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24, the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will stand. God purposes, God plans. He says, you can take your money to the bank on this one. It's going to happen. And so God can do all things. And then. He is control over all things. This is an incredible truth, my friends. This is the sovereignty of God. He is supreme over all things. In the book of Job 42.2, it says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. God is in complete control. What is he in control over? Can I tell you God is in control of every king and every leader in the world today? Do 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 you all know that? I mean, we fret, we stew, and gee, I, I don't know those guys over in North Korea and those guys in the Middle East, and even, even some of our squirrely leaders here in this country. What's going to happen? I'm telling you, God is in total charge of, of what's going on here, my friends. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. <laughs> the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. God is also in total control of human events. Psalm 33, verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God is also in control of angels. And I don't know, we probably don't realize it because we're, we're sort of nervous, some of us evangelicals, about the invisible realm and the supernatural realm. The Bible is very clear that God has sent to our lives and around our lives, ministering angels that, that work with us and help us. God is in control of their ministry. 
And in, uh, in the book of Colossians chapter 1, it says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Here he's talking about angels. He's saying all things were created by him and they were created for him, for his purpose. I, I, you know, there's, if you will think about the ministry of angels, and I don't want to get too far into this thing, but I tell you, there was a time in our life, we were traveling from uh, New Mexico where we were leaving our home and moving here to the Cedar Valley with this wacky idea of starting a church from the ground up. Because we believe that God had spoken to our hearts and had sent us on our way to come here to, to this area and start a church. And we're driving, I'm driving my rider truck. I've rented a rider truck, we packed it up. I'm pulling behind it this old, pathetic, brown uh, Chrysler LeBaron car. It was just all, but we we're dragging it behind because it was one of the cars we had. Roylene was driving a Dodge Colt Vista that we had that she had the kids in it. So I'm driving the rider truck and I look in the rear mirror. We're out in Kansas. Anybody been in Kansas before? Holy cow, there's hardly anything out there. There's no lights. It's just, you get out in the middle of Kansas, it's just like, it's, it, well, I, I don't want to say it's God forsaken, but it's close. And so, we're driving, you know, down that coming, in the middle of the night, I look in my rearview mirror, and what I see is the old uh, LeBaron come across, I could just see it coming across the center line. And I'm going, what, what is this? And then I saw the LeBaron swerve. I looked in the other rearview mirror and I saw it come a, across over onto the shoulder and I saw the rocks and the dust spin up. And then I saw it come back over on the, or across the center line. I'm going, I think I've got a problem. I pull the truck over. The, the LeBaron slides down into the ditch. Raylene comes and pulls up behind me in the Dodge Colt Vista. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, Lord, I mean, we're trying to honor you here. I thought you told us to come to the Cedar Valley. And now here we are, stuck in the middle of Kansas, in Nowhereville, with no help. I had no clue as to what to do. And, and Raylene said, what do you think we ought to do? And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, I think we ought to pray. And I said, okay. And so I said, Lord, we need help. In 30 seconds, I'm telling you, in 30 seconds, a brown tr- a pickup. Now, we had not seen a, a, a vehicle out in this uh, Kansas Plains, probably for an hour, a brown pickup truck drives right up and across it, it's got rider truck written across the truck. This little guy jumps out. He's, he's just, just maybe an inch shorter than me. He's got a ball cap. He's got horn rim glasses, dark hair, but he's got a ball cap on and it says rider truck across the top of his cap, rider truck across his shirt. He comes running up. He goes, you need some help? And I say, yes, sir. I, I we do. We need help. We need help. Said, That's what I'm here for. He said, it's very important that you get where you're going. Let me help you. So he gets down, he gets his toolbox out, and he works, and he works the chain. We had a broken chain, we had a broken hitch. He fixes it, takes him about maybe an hour or so. He said, now, I'm going to follow you down to the next town. You pull over in the first gas station you see. I'm going to get out, and I'm going to check this out, because it's very important that you get where you're going. I said, I'll do it. So we drove down about 20 miles down the next town, pulled over in the gas station. He pulls up behind. He gets out. He works the chain, takes him another 15 minutes. He goes, that'll get you there. And I I looked at him and I said, are you an angel? And he said, see ya. Did not deny it. Jumped in his truck and took off. I don't know. I, I don't know. I I just want to tell you that God is sovereign 
over the ministry of angels. And I believe that there is a ministry going on in our lives that we are completely unaware of. It's happening in the invisible. But God is sovereign and he is in control. And there's something else that he's in control of. And that is God is completely sovereign over demons and Satan himself. And I realize that we, you know, we get real nervous. Oh, demons and man, Satan's getting me and I'm under attack. Let me tell you something. God is in control. God is in charge. If you'll read the book of Job, in fact, where it says, uh, Job chapter 1 verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. And then it unfolds a story where Satan has to come, who, by the way, is a created being. God has created Satan. Satan has to come and ask permission of God that he could touch Job and bring suffering to his life. And God gives approval. God says, you can do it, but don't kill him. And so Satan comes after Job. And if you've read this story, you'll see the incredible suffering that Job went through. But in the end, God's sovereignty plays itself out. Job is restored fully in his life because I'm telling you, God is totally, completely sovereign over demons and over Satan himself. And so here's the point that I want to make. That nothing will ever come to you in this life. Nothing. That has not first been approved by a sovereign God who you call Father. That's my pop. My dad. And he loves me. He loves me more than I could ever know. Everything that comes to you has been approved by God. And so, how does God reveal his sovereignty? If you have your outlines now, we can take a few notes. Number one. God reveals his sovereignty through his his titles. As you read through the Bible, notice the titles that are given to God, the, the, the words that describe God. Sovereign Lord, the Lord Most High, the Alpha and the Omega. In Revelation chapter 19, talks about Jesus riding on a white horse and uh, the, the throngs behind him, you know, uh, were on white horses. And it says, and upon his thigh and upon his robe are written these words, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is sovereignty. This is saying he is a cut above. He is supreme in all things. And he is in control and in charge of all things. And as you read through your Bibles and you look for the titles that are given to God, you cannot scratch your head and go, gee, I wonder who God thinks he is. God thinks he's sovereign. God thinks he's in control. God thinks he's in charge. Now, you can choose to disbelieve that, but this is what the Bible teaches. God also reveals his sovereignty through his promises, through his promises. And I'm sure many of you have, you know, you're holding on to the promises of God. There are promises. I think there are 8,000 promises in the Bible. One of the most precious promises that I know of, that I love, is the verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know, my, my church probably, hopefully you know this one by heart with me. For we know, Paul says, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, of those who have been called according to his purpose. And then we understand why all things are working together for the good, because those who God foreknew, he predestined to become conformed into the image of the Son of God. We are being made into the likeness of Jesus As God takes all the events in life, everything that happens in our life, in His sovereignty, and works them together for the good. I I, I remember, uh, you know, years ago, someone came to me and said, how you doing, Dan? And it was at a time where 
my mother was uh, really suffering with, with breast cancer. And uh, my, my wife had just been found out to have breast cancer. And, uh, you know, I, I knew they were caring. They were compassionate. They were very loving. And they said, how are you doing? And, and I, I had been meditating on Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And all of a sudden, it just came out of my mouth. I said, this is the greatest day of my life. And he just sort of like stepped back, like, what? And I said, really, you have to understand, this is the greatest day of my life. Because God is causing all things right now to work together for the good. Because I love him. Folks, that's the Christian perspective. Now, you can choose not to believe that. But I'm telling you, if you endorse and embrace the Bible, then you have got to understand that in God's sovereignty, His promises, only a sovereign God could make such a promise. That I am able to cause all things to work together for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. And so, the promises of God reveal the sovereignty of God. And then number three, history. Uh, the word history could be alliterated his story. This whole thing, everything that's going on now from, from the beginning of time until the end of time, it's all his story. He's right. He is fully in charge. If you have read, if you have read in your Bibles about the history of Israel, God's chosen people, the people that he placed his favor upon, the people that he was going to show his great power and this little insignificant group. If you read through the history of Israel, you see, in fact, in the book of beginnings, have you, have you ever read the book of beginnings? I'll bet many of you have. It's called the book of Genesis. You find out that 25% of Genesis is written about one guy. His name is Joseph. Ever heard of Joseph in the Bible? 25% of the Bible is about this one guy. And it's all about the sovereignty of God. This, this one guy, you remember he's got the coat of many colors and his, his father kind of prefers him and he has this dream and he tells his brothers, hey, I'm going to rule over you guys. Probably not politically correct. So he ends up in a, in a pit, in a hole. He ends up getting sold into slavery. As he's sold into slavery, he's then accused of raping a high official's wife, ends up in prison, and for years he is forgotten in prison. Doesn't sound like a real great story. In fact, when I get really discouraged, I go back and read about Joseph because what happens then, God begins to orchestrate history. In fact, he's been orchestrating it all along. Here is Joseph in prison. He gives Joseph the ability to interpret a dream. He interprets a dream. He comes out of prison and becomes the second greatest uh, leader in the, the greatest nation that the world at that time knows in the nation of Egypt. He becomes a great leader in Egypt right at the time where God is gathering his chosen people into this little incubator called Egypt, this little fledgling embryonic nation of Israel that's not even formed yet, brings them into Egypt and they become a mighty nation in the incubator of Egypt. And then, if you'll read the book of Exodus, it's the story about how then God, triumphantly through Moses, leads this nation out into the desert, ultimately to take them into the promised land. The wonderful thing about history is this, that anybody know where the land of the Hittites is today? It doesn't exist. The land of the Canaanites that the Bible talks about does not exist. Uh, the, the great empires that existed during Bible days, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, none of that exists. Even in our contemporary world, history shows us the Soviet Union, one of the greatest republics or one of the greatest nations, does not exist today. You know what still exists? 
Israel. God's hand upon his chosen people to simply objectively show us, I am, God says, I am the Lord God. I am sovereign and I am in charge. And you, my people, have got to understand this. I am the Lord. And so God shows us through his titles and his promises and history. And then number four, through prophecy. Through prophecy, and I wish we had more time, but I tell you, God says, listen, I am different than all these other truth claims, all these other, you know, so-called gods. I am a God who prophesies because I live outside of time. I live above time. I see the beginning and the ending. Therefore, therefore, every prophetic word that I give, I am 100% accurate. If you read through the book of Matthew and you look at how many times Jesus, speaking of himself, says, for it is written by the prophets, you know, and then there's something that actually was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. I think there's like 20 or 30 times that Jesus says, for it is written in the scriptures and he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Folks, God has a much better track record than Gene Dixon ever thought about having. Because he is the Lord God and he lives outside of time and he is supreme over all things. And so God shows his sovereignty through the prophetic. He is in control. And then finally, number five, he shows his sovereignty through his son, Jesus Christ. And when you begin to really open, you know, the book and you you see this incredible, miraculous birth that takes place. He is, you know, Jesus born of a virgin, this miraculous birth that was actually prophesied of 900 to a thousand years before it ever took place. You see his miraculous life and the power of God upon this man's life. You see uh, Jesus then dying in the way he died. And then you see God exerting his sovereign power over the dead body of his son and raising him to life. And then you see his ascension into heaven after he appears to his disciples, this incredible exertion of power. And then you see in the book of Acts where Stephen is being martyred in stone. He looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the father at the throne of God. You see Jesus position in heaven. And then you read the book of Revelation chapter 19 and see who Jesus is now in the end of times. He is at this moment the king. He is not the suffering savior any longer. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords soon to come and take his bride home. God is sovereign, my friends. (laughs) God is sovereign. Well, so he is called sovereign by his titles. His promises demand That he be sovereign or they're not promises at all. History reveals that he's sovereign. The fulfillment of prophecies confirm that he is sovereign. And then finally, his son points to the fact that our God is the center and the core of all worship. He is above all others. He is the Lord, our God. And so as I close here, there are a couple of questions. I, I, I just realized I've got to take more time on this later. But there are two questions that just sort of beg for a response when you talk about the sovereignty of God. That God is fully in charge. He is ruler. He is over all things. The first one is this. That if God is sovereign, why does he allow evil and pain and suffering in the world? And I know that's a question that we all at times 
struggle with and wrestle with. And, and uh, th- th- there's just sort of, I- I'm reading a book right now, it's called Evil and the Justice of God by N.T. Wright. So it's a tremendous book talking about this very issue. And so I'm, I'm, I'm working through it. Now, I'll be teaching more about this. Why does God allow evil and suffering and pain uh, in this world? But the bottom line is essentially this. And I'll just give you just a very little brief explanation of this. And that is this. God wants us to love him. You know, someone came to Jesus and said, you know, what's the great commandment? He said, well, love the Lord your God. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul all your mind, with all your strength. Love Him. And in order for us to love Him, there has to be the possibility of turning away from Him and walking into our own independent lives, apart from Him, rejecting Him, and moving off into darkness. To reject God. There has to be that possibility. My wife loves me, not because she has to, but because she's chosen to love me. This is the way God wants to be loved. Therefore, there, have, there has to be, by necessity, the possibility to walk away into evil and darkness, which does create pain and suffering. Well, I'll stop there. But I, I want to move, you know, I want to give you a little more as we go on. But, but this question, you know, why does God allow evil and pain? I believe it all has to do with his desire for us to love him. But then the second question is this. If God is sovereign, if he knows all things, if everything then is predestined by him, then are we just merely these little cosmic puppets and that our prayers really don't make a difference and that, you know, our cho- the choices we make, they're all sort of under his control anyway. And he's the marionette up there just sort of, you know, working the strings and we're just sort of playing out life. And, and uh, my goodness, th- this is this is something that's been debated through the ages by great theologians. There was one great theologian, John Calvin, who was so into the sovereignty of God that he believed that really your choices didn't matter. And he was so wanting to protect the sovereignty of God that, that you know, it doesn't matter whether you pray, what you pray, what choices you make, doesn't because God is sovereign. Clear over on the other spectrum, there was a man by the name of Jacob Arminius who had a following, they were called the Armenians. They so believed in the dignity of the free moral choice of all men that really it got to a point where God was up in heaven sort of biting his fingernails, just sort of wondering, gosh, I wonder what's going to happen next. And, 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 and here's what I, I just want to say about that. And we can get into this more later, but I want to say, you know, the, the question is, which one's right? And I believe that the, the great, you know, the great debate between the sovereignty, the total control of God and the free moral will of man, I believe it's like these are two great guy wires holding up the perfect truth of exactly the way God sees it and the way it really is. I, I, think, I think in many ways they're both right. I don't know, maybe this is part of the mystery of God, but I do believe God is fully sovereign, but at the same time, He, he has dignity of our choices. He respects our moral will. He listens to our prayers. Our prayers do count. They matter to Him. And therefore, you'd say, well, which one is right? I believe they both are. And there is this dynamic tension between the two. And uh, I'm going to leave it right there. Okay? And we'll talk about it more as we come. Well, the part I want to really get to, though, is this last part. How must we personally respond to the sovereignty of God? How do we personally respond? See, to master knowledge is no big deal. How do you respond to it? How does it affect our lives? 
And I want to give you three real simple words. Number one, bow. Bow before the king of the universe. Surrender your life fully to sovereign God. I believe most of the troubles that we have in life is are pulling away from a sovereign God that loves us and cares about us. And, and we, want, we want to try to exert our own will to a point where we just want to do it our way. God says, listen, if you will bow before me. Listen, Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow. There's a day where everyone will bow and every tongue confess. I want to encourage my church, surrender to the Lord. Give all that you are and all that you have to him. It's all his anyway. I mean, today I put in my tithe check. And uh, that 10%, actually I gave more than 10 but that 10% Raylene and I gave, that, that, that wasn't just God's and then the, the other 90% ours. It's all His. It's all His. I, we just simply do it to teach us it's all His. And at the point that I want to back up and f- sort of be afraid to give, give my life fully to the Lord and be led by His Spirit and honor His, His Word and be obedient to Him at the, at the point that I want to pull back from that in fear, I've got to remember the verse in Romans that said, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how much more now will He also give us all things? He is a God that loves us. He knows our need. He understands. He is compassionate and merciful. And in His sovereignty, we are called to bow before the Lord our God. Number two, believe. Believe that all life comes from a loving God. That everything in life comes to us from the hand of a loving God. Now, I realize that some of you are in situations like, man, it's hard. It's tough. I know that. I know. We've been in some tough places too, but I'm telling you. Here's the application, I think, to this, and that is this. Refuse, refuse to worry. And I know you're all looking at me like, hey, like that's one of my favorite things. <laughs> worry. I mean, how, how could I live without worry? You see, if you open your heart up to the sovereignty of God, that God is causing all things to work together for the good, then you must refuse to worry. And you must refuse to complain and whine. And you must embrace the kingship of God in life. Whatever's coming at you now, you have to understand God is sovereign over those things and He loves you. And so believe. And then number three, the last thing, behold. Behold the mystery and the majesty of His sovereign kindness. Behold it. Uh, The word that I want to just sort of bring to us in a way is worship. Worship God. Talk to God. Fellowship with God. Worship this wonderful, sovereign God. Let me tell you something. I am really slow to learn this lesson. I've been 35 years a Christian, just now beginning to understand that I have seen prayer and I've seen worship for so long as a duty and as a task. Like, I gotta do that. I gotta pray. And if I, if I don't pray, then, then I'm not just not, a, I'm not a good Christian. I, and, and in so doing, I have lost the wonder and the awe of being able to come freely as a child of God into the presence of a sovereign God and just knowing that He is above all things. He is before all things. He has created all things. He loves me. I am the object of His affection. And I don't have to work through this thing of prayer and worship trying to figure out how to tell God how He needs to orchestrate my life. I come to a sovereign God who has a great plan for my life and I worship Him. Not for what He's done, but for who He is. 
And I believe this brings us into great abundance. Great abundance. I've missed it for so long. But I'm telling you, God wants us to worship Him because He is sovereign. And so today, we're going to take communion together as a family. And it it is a joy for God our Father to say, Kids, I want you to come to the, the table of the Lord. I want you to have dinner with me today. My son began this, and now I want you to continue it on. I want you to remember who I am. I am the Lord your God, and I love you. So I want you to stand. Could you? Would you mind standing with me here? I want to pray for us. And then you'll know that we have communion elements in the front, on the side, in the back, up top. And I want to really invite you to just sit down with your family. Come up, take the bread, take the cup. If you're here with your family, just say thank you, Lord, or thanks. Thanks that that night, Jesus, you broke that bread and you gave thanks. And you said, this is my body, which is broken. And and God at that point was providing for us a way of relationship with God the Father. And then he took the cup. He said, this cup is new covenant. It's a new way of living. It's all in my blood because you're going to be fully and forever forgiven. As often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. So I want to just encourage you here this morning. If you're here all by yourself, it can be you and Jesus. Or you can join with another uh, group of of family members. Feel welcome to do that. But I, I want you just to really... You know, as you take communion, take behold the goodness and the majesty of a sovereign God that loves us so much. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you, Lord, for my family, my spiritual family. I'm so grateful, Lord, for all the other families that are meeting throughout this city that you call your church, in our nation and in through the world. And, Lord, people that love you and care about you and, and really honor your word. And, and, but I, I pray, Father, for my family that we could some way get a hold of the sovereignty of God and in that we could walk with a sense of great, great joy and peace that we could rest. As you said through Paul, if God be for me, who could ever be against me? And so we want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time of communion. And so I bless my dear friends and my spiritual family here as they take it together. And I pray now in Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen, amen. amen. God bless you all. Come and enjoy the table of the Lord. The Lord bless you. Have a great week.